to Yo and Yo's podcast. We've had the privilege of advising Michigan businesses for over 95 years, and we want to share our knowledge with you, covering tax, accounting, technology, financial, and advisory topics relevant to you and your business. Yo and Yo's podcast is hosted by industry and subject matter experts, where we go beyond the beans. So if you want to stay in the know about business issues and trends that affect you, then keep listening because this is Everyday Business with Yo and Yo. Hello, I'm your host, Dave Jewell, Principal and Tax Service Line Leader at Yo and Yo. Welcome to this pre-election episode of Everyday Business. I'm pleased to be joined by fellow principal John Haig from our Midland office. Welcome, John. Good afternoon. So we drew the short end of the stick, John, and we get to do the pre-election podcast. So (laughs) this could be dangerous. I'm not sure why we're here, but uh, we'll try to have a little bit of fun, stay on point, and uh, hopefully not show any partisan colors one way or another and just stick to the issues. Absolutely not. No, completely neutral here. All right. We will see how it goes. So, yeah, I mean, uh, tons we are of muting, We are muting the microphones when one of us is talking, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> Depends on how much you interrupt me. <laughs> Come on, man. We might have to resort to that. <laughs> John, we're trying to do a beautiful podcast here. So oh, a big, beautiful, beautiful podcast. Okay, All wonderful. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, lots going on as far as election season goes, and... Um, obviously, both camps have shared some information with regard to what their tax plans and tax policies will be if they are elected. So uh, that's kind of the goal today is to, in a nonpartisan manner, just kind of go right down the middle on what the issues are. And you know, keep in mind, too, for those of you who are listening, this is being recorded on, uh, recorded on October 26th, and these candidates' policies and everything else seem to change somewhat on a daily basis or uh, could be completely different by the time we get to post-election, but uh, we will share with you what we know as of today, and we'll kind of take it from there. And I guess the other thing to keep in mind, too, John, you know, as we talk about this, is that uh, just because one individual wins the election doesn't mean that things are going to completely change and they're going to have it their way. Um, oh, certainly, yeah. As we know, it takes uh, Congress and the president to work in cooperation with each other to get anything passed. So, uh, you know, if, uh, if v- former Vice President Biden were to win, but Republicans retain control of the Senate, for example, um, it'll be interesting to see how they figure that out and how they play nice or don't play nice with each other and uh, see if anything gets accomplished. So lots of caveats here, but we'll, we will uh, present you with the information just so that you can make informed decisions uh, the rest of this year and then into 2021 with as much information as as possible. Uh, A couple of topics, a few topics that we're going to try to cover today. Uh, We're going to hit both some individual topics and then uh, some corporate or or business tax topics as well. So uh, we're going to cover the ordinary income tax rates, what those look like now, and what the proposal uh, from uh, Vice President Biden looks like. And then we'll also touch on capital gains rates, payroll taxes, itemized deductions, and then we'll just kind of hit a variety of topics before we move on to the corporate tax side. And then on corporate taxes, we will talk about uh, the corporate tax rate and then also what uh, a new minimum tax looks like that Vice President Biden has proposed. And then um, 
just again a variety of uh, of topics, some potpourri here to to finish things up, and we'll just have some conversation back and forth. Uh, the format today will mostly be. I'll kind of lay out to, to get us started on the topics. I will lay out what the current tax uh, policy looks like. And then if President Trump were to be reelected, uh, what if he's going to make any changes to what's currently in place, I'll kind of lay that out a little bit and then I'll turn it over to John and he will kind of walk us through what some of Biden's changes look like on these various topics. So then we'll just have some conversation back and forth and uh, a little bit of good natured banter and <laughs> going back and forth. So try to, Try to have a little bit of fun. We'll Try to keep it interesting, right? Issues, but have fun with tax topics. There you go. <laughs> All right, well, let's jump in. This is something that will impact absolutely everybody, which is individual income tax rates. Um, right now, we have seven tax brackets. Uh, if, my, if memory serves me right, they are 10, 12, 22, 24, 32, 35, and a top rate of 37% on the individual tax side. Uh, now, those are set to expire when the individual provisions of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act expire at the end of 2025. And then theoretically, we'd revert back to what was previously in place for tax year 2026. Um, President Trump has hinted that if he's reelected, uh, he would give or he's considering giving the middle, t the middle class a 10% tax rate or a 10% tax cut. Um, we don't exactly know what that looks like and what the details of that are, but uh, he has floated the idea of being interested in, in providing some further tax, cut, tax cuts for the middle class. So uh, John looks like uh, former Vice President Biden has some different ideas if he's elected. So what does that look like? Yeah, so basically he's targeting the, the top tax per, um, rate and bumping that from the 37% back up to the 39.6% tax bracket, um, tax rate, which is what it was when um, Trump came into office. Um, so, and he's kind of drawn a line in the sand that if those under, who make under $400,000 will not have their tax rates changed, um, only, this would only affect those um, in excess of $400,000. So having it go from 37 to 39.6% was, is just supposed to target those, those top, top in income earners. Um, as it stands right now, the, the top tax rate doesn't really come into effect until an individual's income, taxable income is greater than 518,000 and some change or 622,000 and some change if you're married filing jointly. So we'll have to see how, what he does with the actual tax brackets and how he shifts them around to, to target that $400,000 line in the sand he's drawn. Um, one of the things that we don't know right now is what is, what is he referring to in terms of income? Is it the taxable income? Is it gross income, adjusted gross income after deductions? So, um, you know, at, at this point, I think he's just trying trying to make sure that he's carving out a certain percentage of, of voters and saying nothing's gonna nothing bad's gonna happen to you from a tax perspective to you folks you know everything but if you're at 400,000 or over you could expect to see some increase yeah and that's why I think someone there's some uncertainty and we'll see what happens with that regard uh, or in 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 that regard, from the standpoint of uh, at four hundred thousand, are you just the, the the rich American that he wants to have pay more tax, and so you're going to go to thirty seven percent at at that level of income, or um, 
you know, I, I, I'm not sure what that looks like. And like you said, is it adjusted gross? Is it taxable? So um, a lot more to be fleshed out and we'll see uh, where he goes on that if he is elected. Right. Yeah. And I would say with the increase in the, in the ordinary income tax rate, that really affects those. Um, and I think the next, next topic here is it relates to capital gains. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to jump ahead too much, but um, with the increase um, of, of to the, basically he's saying that um, capital gains on income above a million dollars would be taxed at this highest tax bracket at 39.6%. Um, that's huge. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that, that, that's a huge increase. You know, if you add in the uh, um, investment, net investment tax that, that um, higher wage inter- or income earners have of 3.8%, which is currently right now being challenged in the Supreme Court. We'll see how that, how that comes, comes through. But you're really talking about a, a current rate for long-term capital gains going from a 23.8% to 43.4%. So, you know, almost, almost double for higher yeah, wage earners. Yeah, and to your point, I think he has drawn some lines in the sand and tried to distinguish a little bit that, uh, you know, because there's some articles, depending on which side you're you're reading, uh, that want to come out and say Biden's going to double everybody's income tax. And there's been some articles written uh, to the contrary on that, saying that, well, he's really only laid a plan out for income earners over $400,000 where their tax is going to go up. Everybody else theoretically is going to be, uh, you know, stay the same or there's going to be some additional breaks. And so uh, we'll see. Yeah. And, and there are quite a, we'll get into that um, eventually here, but there are quite a few breaks out there and deductions um, that, that will help out some of the um, lower income earners as well. But yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you for sure. So let's jump into that next topic then that you had kind of touched on, John, which is the capital gains rates. Um, right now, there is a, a top 20% capital gain rate for high income earners. And then to the extent that uh, you know, you're over a, a certain threshold and you have passive investment income, that's subject to another 3.8% net investment income tax. So that's what you were alluding to of you know, right now, there's kind of that top 23.8% cap gain rate. Uh, individuals who are in a 10 or 12% bracket pay a 0% uh, long-term cap gain rate. So it's really capital gains that are long-term are, are costing them nothing in those lower brackets. And then pretty much everybody else in the middle is is subject to a 15% long-term capital gain rate. And that also applies to, to qualified dividends. Um, Trump, if reelected, has come out and said that by executive action, he's going to look to cut that top long-term cap gain right down from 20% to 15%. So we'll see what happens with that, uh, with that if he is reelected, if he's able to uh, reduce that top long-term cap gain rate. And then also, you know, that 3.8% net investment income tax, that's tied to the Affordable Care Act. That was one of the taxes that came through in the ACA. And uh, obviously with uh, Judge Barrett set for vote today uh, on the Supreme Court, uh, that's what some people that are on the left side of the aisle are saying that not only, uh, you know, does that, you know, that's going to, she could vote to, she could be the swing vote or the deciding vote to uh, knock down the Affordable Care Act. Well, then, you know, what does that do? And that's something that we've been looking at with some of our clients is that, well, uh, does that mean that the 3.8% net investment income tax is 
null and void going forward. Uh, what about the 0.9% Medicare surtax on individual earners over 200,000, 250 for uh, married filing joint couples? So uh, a lot at stake there and we'll see what happens in, in that respect. Um, but uh, Trump obviously looking to, to cut capital gains rates a little bit or uh, at least have them stay static at that 15% for the people in the middle. And you already alluded to uh, what Biden's planning on doing, but maybe just take us through that one more time, John, and, and talk about that a little bit further. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, just to um, reiterate, that's capital gains on income above a million dollars would not have that lower 20% tax rate or even the 15% tax rate that, that Trump's proposing, but rather the highest new 39.6% maximum tax rate. And then if you added on the 3.8% net investment tax, that's where we get up to 43.4%. So um, that, that, is, that is huge when it comes to capital gains. Um, and I think um, is gonna, if that were to be the case, we would, there definitely be some tax planning that we would need to do. Um, I, I think of, in terms of some of these, um, these lines in the sand where we draw, like if you're greater than this amount of income, higher tax or lower than, sometimes, and maybe, and you probably have this experience too, where we, we do have clients who will come into a sum of money or perhaps like your small business owner. You know, I'm thinking of a small business owner who recently sold their business. You know, they had all their eggs in one basket, sold their business for, for a million and a half, you know, but that was meant to pr provide for them for the rest of their lives. You know, other than that, they had a small amount of social security. So under some of these law laws like that, you're looking at, wow, they're gonna be paying a, a huge amount of tax based on one slug of income that's supposed to be, you know, help them take care of them for the rest of their life. So um, as with most of these tax laws and, and things that come out, you know, there's always um, unintended um, consequences and casualties along the way, you know, that people, sometimes the politicians on either side don't think all the way through. And I think that might maybe one of them. Um, you know. Yeah, sometimes those get corrected, you know, too, as, as some of these yeah. things get fleshed out. And, you know, maybe it's sources of ordinary income over a million dollars before this kicks right. in. And uh, if they were to sell their business in a stock sale, for example, and there'd be a large amount of capital gains uh, that are generated, maybe cap gains can't push you over that level. And sure. Um, so they wouldn't get hammered too, too hard. But yeah, I mean, the difference between 20% and 39, you know, let's just call it 40%, <laughs> is, that's, that's a lot of money. There that's a lot of money. money so. Indeed. Yeah. We will, we will see. But I guess the, you know, the good news is for a majority of Americans, though, one way or another, you know, there's only a very small percentage of people who are earning over a million dollars in any given year. So um, even under Biden's plan, uh, while there would be a potential large increase in cap gain rates, it wouldn't impact your your average person, even the higher income earner, uh, you know, maybe who's up around a half million dollars. Uh, this shouldn't impact them either. So. Sure. Yeah. The vast majority would, would not see a huge increase. Right. All right. Speaking of things that uh, we can argue made sense or didn't make sense, uh, let's talk payroll taxes a little bit and kind of what that looks like. Um, right now, payroll taxes are kind of split up into two components, 12.4% uh, Social Security, 2.9% uh, of, of Medicare. And what that looks like for, you know, kind of your average wage earner, let's say that my employer pays me $100. 
Um, $6.20 is going to get withheld from that $100 uh, and is going to go towards Social Security. And then my company, my employer, is going to match that other $6.20 out of their funds. And that's going to be remitted uh, as one part of the payroll tax. And then $1.45 is going to be withheld from Medicare. My employer is going to match that $1.45. Uh, so that's kind of how that looks right now. If I'm so fortunate to earn over 137700 uh, which is the, the ceiling for 2020, then the Social Security part, the 12.4%, the 6.2 on each side, um, that is, is done. That's kind of the cliff there. And then, but all of my income, all of my wages are subject to that 2.9%. Uh, Medicare tax, which is split 1.45% on, on each side. Um, half, by the, half of that burden is borne by the employee and half by the employer. Um, and you know, we, then we won't get into the other 0.9% Medicare surtax. That's a little bit outside of, of this, but there, and then there's an additional 0.9% Medicare uh, surtax that the employee pays for wages over, over $200,000 that are paid to each uh, individual. So that's kind of what the payroll tax landscape looks like right now. Um, talking about executive action, something that was, in my opinion, John, I don't know, you can disagree with me. Uh, that's fine. It won't be, the, won't be the first time we've disagreed on something, but <laughs> um, um, via Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> via executive order, uh, President Trump back, I think it was in September, I think this kind of first was rolled out around the Labor Day holiday, if, if memory serves me correctly, um, put in place that for employees that are earning under, you know, on an annualized basis, under $104,000, um, the employer could choose for the remainder of the year, I think, to no longer withhold Social Security and Medicare tax. Now, that sounds really good, but the thing that we found out was that it was really just a deferral and that individual is going to have to start paying that tax back in 2021. So just because it seemed like there was a lot of uncertainty and uh, it could be something that really confuses the employee and really is a little bit of a gut puncher, uh, in 2021, where they're going to have to pay this back. I think a lot of employers opted not to take that little voluntary uh, benefit for employees. And we have no idea how it's going to work out or how it's going to look. At one point in time, President Trump said that if he is reelected, that he would figure out a way to just have a, make that go away, essentially, and, and not have to have it paid back by the employee. So um, we will see what that looks like. But uh, Vice President Biden has some different ideas if he's elected as to what payroll taxes are going to look like. So uh, I want to yeah. let us know what that looks like. Well, just to, um, to go along with what you were saying about that, the um, deferral there, I, I saw in, in, with my clients uh, pretty much across the board, um, not just the, the employers, but the employees were saying, please don't do this. I don't, I don't want that deferral. So I don't really exactly know how many that we're talking about who actually participated in that and had some, had some tax deferral. But one of the things that, that, that um, Biden is looking at is lifting the base cap on higher high wage earners um, of, to greater than 400,000. So that would be basically applying that 6.2% tax um, for both the employer and employee to wages in excess of that. And, um, you know, based on the reading that, that I'm doing, um, it sounds like that's going to be a very, very uh, hard one to get through. 
even if even if he is elected, just because of the the large amount of additional taxes that would be, um, you know, put sixteen point or twelve point four percent on both employer and employee. So even though it's out there, even those who um, are on a, on the for for Biden side are, are thinking that's that's a little aggressive. But that being said, we have seen that um, Social Security cap go up every year and um, kind of significantly, you know, not like hundreds of dollars, but thousands of dollars every year. So I would expect that that would continue to go up. Yeah, because I think they just released, what, a week or two ago and said that the the rate next week or next year, I believe, is going up by 5100 bucks. I think it goes to 142.8 for yeah. 2021. So, you know, that's another pretty sizable increase in my opinion. And then, you know, it's kind of weird because then we're going to have this bubble between, okay, so next year, let's say that Biden's elected and this gets passed. And so then we've got this bubble where there's no social security withholding right. from 142.8 up to 400, but then at 400, it kicks back in again. And yeah. basically just goes for as, as much as you, as much as you can get there. So. Yeah. So I think it would be, um, um practically hard to hard to implement but I, I don't think they'll be able to get enough support um the last article i read about that said they would have to have it would it, this isn't this isn't a, something that would um squeak by on a marginal vote like they would have to have a real good majority in order to in order to have of support in order to have this go through but um yeah it's a, i think it's too a, one of your one of your favorite rappers uh 50 cent even weighed in on this uh, topic where he said that he didn't want to become 20 cent because he was kind of you know to his credit he was going through the whole payroll tax or i mean going through this whole tax calculation i was like okay i'm going to go to 40 percent federal income tax i've got you know new york state tax or wherever he lived new york city tax which is you know like quadruple what we pay here in Michigan. And then, you know, if you add on some of these payroll taxes and things, uh, it turns into a huge number. Yeah. Huge yeah. Number. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, I, I don't, but, but it is interesting that it, it, incre it increases such a sizable amount each year. And I, and I also feel like it doesn't get very much attention, you know, it yeah. just kind of increases and happens. Um, and I, I would expect that to continue. Yeah. Well, and you take, I mean, you know, the, Think about somebody that's just not just, but you know, it's earning. I don't know, say, call it a million dollars or three quarters of a million dollars. Um, you know, we've got uh, we deal with a lot of clients who are kind of in that half million to a million dollar range. And if you were to think that between 400 and whatever it is that they earn, that there's going to be another 6.2 percent withheld for social security tax and that their employer is going to have to match that, I mean, that's right. That's a, a big number. And yep. I know not many people feel too sorry for him, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's still another huge 6.2% uh, kicker on, on anything that they earn over 400,000, which, which amounts to, to quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Indeed. So, all right, let's, let's talk about one more uh, item here before we just kind of open it up on the individual side and just kind of have a little bit of a catch all conversation and let's move to, to itemized deductions. Um, obviously not as many people itemize their deductions anymore. Uh, back in 2018, when uh, Trump and company passed or put through the, uh, the tax reform bill, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act there, uh, the standard deduction went from just over $12,000 for a married filing joint couple up to 24,000. And now that's been indexed, I think, to 24,800, so pushing $25,000. 
uh, for the average married couple. And then once you have taxpayers who are uh, 65 and older, that gets increased to what I think by an extra 1300 bucks per taxpayer that's at 65 and older. So, you know, I've got some clients that are up over, you know, give or take a $27,000 uh, standard deduction, which is pretty hard to to get over, considering that your state income taxes and property taxes are capped at ten grand, and then you know you can take your your mortgage interest on a couple residences, and then your charitable contributions. Or if you you know are so unfortunate to have a, a high uh, medical expense year where those medical deductions exceed seven and a half percent of your adjusted gross income, those can count toward your itemized deductions. But um, I don't know. I mean, I'm seeing fewer and fewer clients who are taking, who are itemizing their deductions. And a lot of them are uh, just taking standard deductions anymore. And so that's the, that's the rule that's kind of currently in place right now is that uh, we're going to keep that higher standard deduction. If you can itemize your deductions on those same uh, rules, so be it and get a better uh, benefit. You're more than welcome to take that. And from everything that I'm reading, uh, President Trump has no changes to that plan. So um, it's going to look a lot like what it does right now. But uh, I know that Biden's got a couple different ideas and he's got that magic $400,000 number again that he's uh, using for for one of his phase outs there. So, so what does that look like this time? Yeah. So um, one of the things, the, the, the first of all, the, the, cap on state local property taxes income taxes um being capped at ten thousand dollars was was definitely some something that really affected um a lot of our clients whether or not they itemized or took the standard deduction and basically biden's position is to remove that cap um we know that that um cap really hurt um, those who lived in high tax states so your New York's, Californias, and and in those that lived in areas that had very high property taxes. Well, um, what way do those states usually vote, John? What's that? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Which way do those states usually vote? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there might be something there. It might have been a little little jab when when the when yeah. uh, when, when that cap was put on, and then um, Biden's trying to uh, go back and uh, and and fix that. So. Um, you know, so so elimination of that cap um, on state state and local taxes and property taxes, I think, will get people a little bit closer to where it makes more sense itemizing. Um, I think one of the one of the casualties that may have may have occurred here with that cap is is there's probably some charities that were hurt a little bit with their with their charitable giving um, because it created such a large delta between the standard deduction and itemized deductions that. Um, that people were finding that a thousand dollar donation to charity wasn't giving them a tax benefit like they used to get. Um, so now with this uh, cap re- removed, um, hopefully we'll um, you know we'll we'll see some little bit more support for charities based on tax strategies versus just individual um, giving. Um, now the other thing that um, that it's going to be reinstated is related to the P's limitation. And that basically is a phase out once your income gets above a certain threshold. What do you think that threshold is? Um, I'm going to go 400,000. <laughs> 400,000. Hey, that's a good one. We'll go with that. Right, so perfect. if we get above $400,000, we're going to see the itemized deductions start being reduced by about three cents for every dollar above above that threshold. So that's a rule that, that P, those P's limitations were in place um, when Trump took office 
be removed on their back in under the Biden plan. Okay. Good. All right, and then let's just let's just open it up, John, and have a conversation that's kind of a catch-all um, on anything else. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, different credits, deductions, et cetera, like a laundry list of them. Yeah. Uh, Biden has proposed um, if he is elected. And so, I mean, why don't you just, let's just have a conversation, but why don't you get us, why don't you kick us off and we'll just kind of sure. go through a handful of those that uh, our, our listeners might be interested in. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, there's there are certainly um, a lot of deductions and credits and, and ideas that, that Biden has that might be uh, interesting um, to some. Let's see, the, the first being a, a new refundable tax credit of up to $15,000 for first-time home buyers. Um, interestingly enough, his proposal says that this tax credit will be collected or is give, um, given credit to, to the purchaser um, when the home is purchased, not when the return is filed, which, yeah. is, which, is, which is interesting. You typically would, would file for and get a credit. Um, First-time homebuyer credits are not new. They have been in the tax history before. Um, I don't know if they've been up to this dollar amount at $15,000. That's quite a bit. Um, at one point there was a, like a forgiveness amount to, to the first time credits where as long as you kept the home for a certain amount of time, then, then you would be forgiven. Others, you had to pay it back over a certain period. Um, yeah, I still have people paying that one back. So yeah, 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 (laughs) it's a long payback period. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and it's, and it's refundable, you know, so even if you, that, that basically means that even if you don't have the tax, if it take, it can take you into a refund situation, mm-hmm. it's not just simply refunding back what you have paid in. Um, so I think, uh, that that's going to appeal to a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, voters who, um, you know, are first time home buyers. Um, and we'll have to see how, how all that plays out. You know, we did run into some issues with that. I remember, you know, because a lot of times your first time home is not one that you stay in for a long time. Maybe yeah. you didn't you didn't like that neighborhood or you, you got your first home and then you met somebody and you get married and move. We saw a lot of those situations where, where it also created a little bit of a liability there, especially if there was any sort of payback um, required on that. But that's a, that's a big chunk right up front and could help somebody get to that, uh, that initial down payment. Um, another uh, refundable federal tax credit of up to half of a family's cost to care for children under the age of 13 and other disabled dependents uh, with a maximum credit of $8,000 for one qualifying child or 16000 for two or more. And that would apply to families um, with under $125,000 in income if you make over 125 and up to that limit of 400,000, you could qualify for partial credits. So there'll be some sort of some sort of phase out there. So um, th- those are some pretty pretty good de- dollars um, for for families. With yeah, I mean, that's extremely attractive for. I mean, you know, we are in a position where we see those daycare costs for a lot of our clients, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, those are big numbers, really big numbers, and um, and you know, these are credits right so dollar for dollar reduction tax liability to the to the tune of pushing a lot of money uh so that's uh, definitely something that's going to be attractive to a lot of taxpayers because um you know what right now even people that are are 
are high higher income earners, uh, I think the max that they can get is what a twelve hundred dollar uh, yeah. child tax credit. So, uh, or uh, not child tax credit, but a uh, uh, dependent care dependent care credit. Yeah, credit. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. These are. I mean, both of these situations are are very um, very large dollars that that have the have the. Um, you know, sometimes we see small small credits. So you wonder, does that even worth the worth the time to you know um, to roll something like that out? But but these are definitely large dollars that that can that are going to help some folks. Um, he also wants to reinstate some residential energy efficiency tax credits. Um, going along with his um, goals of of really focusing on on green energy and so forth, um, we, ex we would expect to some of those credits reinstated. Um, he also had some. I don't have a lot of didn't see a lot of detail on this, but enacting uh, a renter's tax credit. Yeah. You know, so we're we're in Michigan, of course. So a lot of us are familiar with the the property tax credit that's afforded for renters in Michigan based on your income and how much rent you pay. But this would be, of course, at the at the federal level. So it'd be interesting to see to see how that works. Um, yeah, I think that was to reduce basically, essentially, what you pay in rent would not be more than thirty percent of your income, right? Your, mm -hmm. your utilities. I think the credit was to reduce, reduce effective, your effective rent rate down to no more than 30% of your income. So it'll be interesting. Mm. Uh, be interesting to see how that works. I mean, I just, you, you look at that from a tax preparer standpoint and uh, just a, a lot more information that I think will be required. And then are they going to put limitations on how much you know, how nice of a place you can get. I mean, uh, yeah. somebody's going to go out and want to rent the Taj Mahal knowing that they're only going to have to, it's not going to cost them more than 30% of their income. Then, uh, you know, what does that look like? So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. Yeah. And especially when we're talking rent, which varies so much from, from property to property and state to state and so forth. So yeah, I agree that that would be uh, very interesting how, how they uh, work that one out, but yeah, um, it's an interesting concept. So, um, and then, you know, student loans, we've, uh, um, heard about those for quite a while. And his plan is basically that you would get a tax-free cancellation of your student loans, um, after borrowers have been enrolled, um, in an income-based type repayment program for 20 years. So if you were, if you were in an income-based payment program, paying your student loan, 20 years goes by, whatever your balance is at that time. Um, would be canceled and tax-free. Um, that, that's uh, one of his concepts here. Um, I don't know, that's a, but I look at it from, from both sides. I mean, anytime you get a loan forgiven, I that sounds like a good thing. Um, it's interesting that it would take 20 years to, yeah. to get it forgiven because you gotta figure 20 years after the date of the loans, probably when you're gonna be in a lot better position to pay it off yeah. Than when you were 20 years ago. So it's almost yeah, yeah, like we'll, it should be like reversed, you know? Yeah, we'll, see, we'll see what the income uh, tied to your income part of that looks like because yeah, theoretically you'd have to be making a lot larger payments down the road, hopefully anyway. Yeah. Yeah. John, I think that one's interesting too, just because, you know, for so long we heard free college, free college, free college. And um, this is, 
kind of free college, but not for 20 years. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see how, how much traction that one gains and whether that's something that kind of sticks around or whether he'll be, uh, you know, if Biden is elected, whether he'll be pushed to come up with some sort of way for more education reform where there's not as, as much of a, an upfront cost to, to students. Sure. And, you know, one of the other interest, really interesting things that I've, I found about his um, plan, um, maybe start with a scenario, but, um, you know, someone, someone's, let's say their, their um, husband or wife passed away, let's just say grand, grandparents, one of their grandma passed away and she had a um, hundred shares of Ford stock that she had had forever, you know, and, and bought it at a dollar and you inherit that. Well, now maybe this is a bad example to use Ford stock. It's not worth, not worth as much these days, but let's say it's worth $10. Okay. A share. So you inherit those shares, you get what's called a step up in basis. So that, so that stock in your hands is now, even though grandma bought it for a dollar, you actually inherit that at a basis of $10. So that appreciation in value, that $9 per share, that appreciated in value, um, grandma didn't have to pay tax on that and you don't have to pay tax on that. You basically now own those shares at $10 a share. Mm -hmm. So that, that's called a step up in basis for inherited assets. And that is something that, that Biden is, is, um, would eliminate the uh, step up in basis of appreciated assets. And that goes for anything, that go, um, any capital asset, that, could, that goes for a house. So you inherit grandma's house that they built for $5,000, it's now worth $150,000. So um, the, having the in, in this basis step up go away is gonna affect um, a lot of folks. <laughs> and and um, in addition to that, one of the kind of neat things from a tax preparer side is that and an, an investment advisor side is we didn't have to find out what grandma bought the stock for yeah, yeah. <laughs> back, back 30, 50 years ago. Um, we know that you took over that, those shares. So now, you know, in our records and when you go to sell it, we use a basis of $10 per share for you. Now with the step up in basis gone, we actually have to figure out somehow how much grandma bought it for all those years ago to figure out what your gain and gain is on that stock. So I don't know what you think about, about that day, but that's a, that's a big one. Oh, that's a, yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge zinger. And that kind of goes right into, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk obviously too about, I mean, cause that kind of has a little bit to do with inheritance and estate tax and things like that. Uh, you know, the right now there's an estate tax of, or an estate tax exemption, lifetime exemption of, what, right around $11.5 million per individual. Um, I think everybody thinks that in a Biden presidency that that's going to be a thing of the past and that number is going to go south by a lot. And, you know, it depends on what you read as to what that number is going to be. You know, I've, I've read $5 million. I had a client in earlier today who uh, thought that he had heard or read somewhere where that's going to be closer to, you know, two or $3 million. So uh, it's anybody's guess really, but I think that's another thing that's on, on the chopping block along with the, the step up in basis that people have always uh, enjoyed. So there's, there could be some, some substantial changes. And uh, I know there's people, I just got an email from a, an investment advisor, buddy of mine, before we jumped on this podcast that said, Hey, are you, 
getting any questions from financial advisors and estate planning attorneys as to what we do, uh, given a change in the White House here before the end of the year, because uh, it might interest a lot of people to make some large gifts and use up some of that huge lifetime estate and gift tax exemption that they have right now before it potentially goes down. Mm-hmm. Lots of yeah. planning opportunities for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that's like I said, something that, that, that affects everybody. So it's not just the, the super wealthy that uh, with that basis step up, but all income levels, um, even if it's just, you know, grandma's $100,000 portfolio of investments, you know, I mean, you're talking about a big chunk of that but with if they have a lot lower basis, a bigger chunk of that's going to go to taxes. So, um, yeah, it's very, very interesting. Yeah, for sure. Um, they also talked about, um, I guess I got two, two more things here. Um, one part of his plan would create an automatic, referred to as an automatic 401k for, mm-hmm. for workers that, that don't have access to a, a defined, um, retirement plan, you know, maybe out of work or, or something, um, of that nature. But basically the ability to, for, um, taxpayers to contribute to a retirement plan. And, you know, it's, it's important, of course, that, and we always advise our clients to, to save um, mm-hmm. for retirement through various sources. So in this situation, if you didn't have a plan, this would automatically make one for you. Um, and then also it would offer, offer tax credits to small businesses to cover the costs of starting and maintaining plans. Um, granted, there are some that are very, like a simple plan, which is very cost effective for, for a small business, but then it has some limitations as far as which, how much the employees can actually put in. Right. So you start moving up to um, your 401k plans and so forth. You're, you're getting some more administrative costs and these credits help to um, offset, offset those costs. And then there's also a little, um, different carve-outs in his um, plan, such as um, hardship withdrawals, and um, penalty, you know, forgiving the the ten percent penalty for early withdrawals mm-hmm. for um, certain certain individuals, for example, uh, survivors of domestic abuse or sexual assault, yeah, um, have have been identified there, um, along with uh, widening the uh, catch-up contributions for caregivers. Now, retirement plans will often have a catch-up provision that, based on your age, allows you to put more in. Um, based based on based on your higher age, and so this would would kind of widen the ability of of, of caregivers. So um, that's kind of um, how he's going to address the um, the demand for retirement venues, you know, and 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 allow people some flexibility. Yeah, lots of interesting stuff on the table. I mean, there's, but I feel like we're so used to. You know, just telling people to to bang the max into their retirement plan if they're able to. You know, the full nineteen five or twenty six or whatever it is into a four hundred one k or four hundred three b, based on their age if they're able to. You know, same thing, maxing out simples or taking the the max that they can on on a SEP contribution or funding their solo four hundred one k as much as they can. But this uh, this is going to look a little bit different, I, I feel like, and there's going to be some different alternatives and. Um, you know, it might be something that, that people welcome if they can sock more away. I mean, that's, that's one thing is that, especially kind of for your typical wage earner, right? I mean, there's only so many levers that you can pull. 
um, to sock money away for retirement. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, whether you can continue to defer and then get a, a pre-tax benefit or uh, whether that goes away and this is in form of a, in the form of a credit now for, for putting money away for retirement, um, we'll see, but it'll be, it'll be interesting mm-hmm. if, if that's something yeah. that we have to deal with. Right. Yeah. It's something that needs some attention. That's for, that's for sure. Especially on the contributions in, um, I noticed that that politicians seem to be using the, the ability to take money out, um, you know, is is something to that to target specific groups and, and actions, for example, um, you know, with, with the pandemic, they they allowed you to take out, you know, take out from your retirement account and then pay back over time. Mm -hmm. Um, if, if you had that need, and um, while I think some of that is good and, and should be there, I think we just need to be careful on, on what we allow the, the politicians to go after and allow us to do, because that money is really earmarked for a specific situation. And all the financial advisors, investors, and can, can show you their models, how taking money out of the market, out of your 401k or your retirement plan um, is, is kind of the last source that you could, should go, go to. Yeah, um, and how it can real really affect you um, in the long run. So, um, yeah, I think, I think we we went through some of those same conversations when uh, you were allowed to yank money out of a Michigan education plan for K through twelve education when there is yeah. that. You know, I think we had some of those same conversations that it's like that's fine to do that, but remember what you started putting this money away for because you don't want to get. You know, whatever the individual's time horizon was before their children went to college, but you don't want to get to the point where it's like, oh, we we got a really good base started here for college, but oh, now that we can use this for a K through twelve education, it doesn't mean that it's wrong. But um, you know, you're, you're taking some of those dollars off the table that can grow tax right. tax free, whatever it is, and uh, you know, using that for something that a few days ago you wouldn't have intended being able to use it for. So um, similar to this, you know, careful what you're pulling your money out for. Yeah. I think the disclaimer there is make sure you talk to your financial advisor, um, you know, and just because a politician is saying, wrote some legislature that says you can take it out. Doesn't mean necessarily you should, or that's the best Avenue. Yeah. Um, you know, talk to your financial advisor and, and, and see what your options truly are. Yeah, I agree. Well, good. Did we beat the individual side up enough? I think so. (laughs) Ready to to pick on the businesses a little bit? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we have a much shorter list on on this side, but uh, a couple of things that I think are important to to kind of hit on as we switch gears here a little bit. Um, First, let's talk about the corporate tax rate. So we went from uh, when Trump first got into office, we had kind of a tiered corporate tax structure where Jesus, going back a couple of years, it's funny how you forget this stuff when it's been out of law for, for a couple of years. But, well, we had a 15% rate on the first 50000 and then 25% on the next 25000 And then, however, it went up from there to kind of even uh, to kind of a, a top corporate tax rate of 35% for those tax-paying C-Corp entities. Uh, but with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, one of the things that Trump pushed through and that he, that he touted heavily uh, for really how he benefited the American taxpaying corporation uh, was that he eliminated that whole structure and we went to a flat 21% corporate tax rate. And if reelected, I don't think he has any plans to, to do anything other than that. Um, that's something that he 
has really, uh, you know, touted as being something that, like I said, that he uh, accomplished and pushed through for the, for the American corporation. So that's a good spot, but I know that Biden has some different ideas. So, and then let's even talk about John, you know, not just what the rate would be, but he also, Biden also has another proposal out there for, uh, you know, you hear about the Amazons of the world that, you know, they've been harping on and, you know, whoever else, they don't pay any tax. They're these massive corporations, but they pay no tax. And so I know Biden has a plan to address that. Mm -hmm. So tell us what this new tax rate looks like, and then tell us what this kind of uh, minimum alternative tax rate looks sure like. yeah the you know that i think that was that was pretty shocking that, that we were able to get the uh or see the rate go from you know 35 down to 21 percent that's a that was a and to be a flat rate that was huge for for corporations um and we saw we saw a lot of a lot of benefits from that um for for our corporate tax clients um biden is proposing to increase it up to 28 percent and also from so a seven seven percent increase um, as a as a flat rate. Mm-hmm. I was reading an interesting article that somebody from that was those more uh, leaning more Republican said, you know, how long did we think we were really going to get away with a low twenty one percent tax rate? <laughs> you know, if you think of politics like kind of a pendulum, you know, sometimes it swings way this way and some you know the other way. That that twenty one is probably the 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 lowest rate that you'll ever see. So, you know, not swinging it back to 35, but 20, 28%. And we primarily cited needing these additional funds to, um, for his um, rebuilding policy. Um, he's he's uh, named uh, Rebuilding America Through Investment. So by getting corporations to pay, to pay more um, taxes, he's going to be able, his goal is to use those funds to help um, rebuilding America that way. Um, he's also, like you said, to trying to target the those those larger companies who are not paying anything in taxes because of aggressive tax strategies. Um, he's um, um, going to implement a 15% minimum tax on corporations with at least $100 million in annual income that pay little to little to or no tax. So basically, what you would do is um, as a Tax preparer, we would compute what um, tax taxable income is based on that 28% rate, and figure out what the taxes are there. And then we would use book income, or also referred to as gap income, you know, generally accepted accounting principles. Which gap income is different in that you're not able to accelerate a lot of expenses. For example, depreciation, where you write where you write a bunch of tax depreciation off the, the in the year you purchase the asset. Gap books are uh, require that you write the expenses off over time. So in this concept, um, Biden is thinking that the book income is gonna be higher um, because you don't have all these aggressive tax write-offs. And therefore we would compare book income to tax income and you'd pay either 28% tax on tax income or 15% tax rate on book income, whichever is more. And we're not, we're not um, no strangers to alternative minimum tax. You know, that's, that's existed. It's existed at the individual level as well. Um, but it, you know, some of the experts that I'm reading their, their thought processes, well, you know, book, book income can get adjusted just like tax 
um, income, you know, and it's just, a, it's just a, changes the rules of the game, but it doesn't necessarily mean result in more taxes either. Um, that you're just going to find some different, different ways of accounting for some, for some things. So, um, it'll be interesting to see how that actually works out. And then there's got to be some sort of adjustment on an ongoing basis for that reconciliation, because sometimes you're paying, if you're paying tax on some book income, but then when you compute tax income the next year, it's possible that you'd be paying tax again on that income, depending on how the tax adjustments worked out. So. Um, be a little more complicated. But, yeah, it's it's going to be that that one is real interesting to me to see what that looks like. I mean, it really takes the teeth out of tax depreciation. You know, we've yeah, got the world of hundred yeah. percent bonus depreciation on tangible personal property mm-hmm. for the last few years. You know, uh, a couple of years back too, you could take one seventy nine section one seventy nine accelerated depreciation. Uh, on you know commercial roofs, things like that, HVAC systems, things that used to have to be depreciated even from for tax purposes over a longer period of time. So, um, you know, and that's the counter argument, I guess, to uh, people that say, well, these these huge corporations they don't pay they don't pay their fair share. I guess the counter argument to that is that yeah, but they're theoretically reinvesting and they're purchasing a ton of new whatever and they're writing that all off in the year that they purchase it and so that's what helps reduce and you know no doubt there's some different credit credits uh, incentives different things that they're taking advantage of uh taking advantage of everything that's possibly up there or possibly out there for them to to reduce their taxable income and you know whether that gets it down to zero or you know nobody knows what those tax returns look like but um you know it's this is 15% on, on book income is, it's going to be extremely interesting because you could probably go to these companies, uh, you know, it's all publicly available information, right? What their financials look like, you know, to shareholders anyway, uh, and, and see what their, what their profit is, what their book income is. And if you were to take 15% of that, that would probably be massively higher than what they pay oh, in, in corporate income tax right now. So it'll be real interesting to see how that, to your point, there's a lot of considerations and a hundred different things that you'd have to calculate and reconcile back and forth to make sure you're not getting getting hit on it twice. But um, yeah, we, we, we will see what that looks like for the, for the big boys and girls. Exactly. Yeah. I would, you hit it right on the head with uh, with the investment, and you know this is like the the funds are are needed for his invest in America policies, and I w- I would be con- concerned. You know, all the years I'll say this would have been eighteen tax seasons of of uh, as a CPA for myself, and I would say the one question that you just seems like you always get asked by business clients at the end of the year is what can I purchase? You know, what can I purchase in order to save taxes? And we always have the same thing. Well, don't buy something just to, to buy something, but if you need something for the business, you know, if you're, if you, if you could use a new machine um, or if you could expand into some additional space or something like that, then yeah, invest, take the tax deduction. You won't pay as much tax, but you'll actually be, be investing, you know, and yeah. That is something that that we just, I'm sure you probably feel the same way, is that it's it's so common. That's really how you spur investment is by by those tax depreciation deductions. Mm-hmm. Um, and even from a small Main Street operation up to uh, to uh, to your hundred million dollar and plus, um, that that is a huge incentive. So it's going to be interesting to see how he reconciles 
the goal to increase investment with this tax policy that's actually going to take some of the, um, the some of the benefit out of out of purchasing capital assets. Yeah. So no, I, I agree. This is one of the more intriguing things in the whole in the whole plan, in my opinion, what this part looks like and how it would be enacted and how you make it work and uh, figure the figure the whole thing out. Hopefully. Right. I mean, depreciation, whether it's book or tax, you're going to get that right off eventually. Um, but if you're if you're getting it slow, evenly over a period of time, typically that's not that doesn't go coincide with a company that's growing. Yeah. You know, the, 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 so by getting that deduction right now, that puts more in the company's books that there are cash available that they can invest more, pay their employees more and so forth. So uh, just a, an interesting concept, no doubt. Yeah. One of my partners here, one of our partners, uh, but located in my office, likes to say that every time Congress does something like this, it's called, he calls it the, the Accountants Full Employment Act. And I think that, uh, you know, I don't know that we have a whole lot of clients that have profit of, of over $100 million where it applies directly to us, but it's going to make somebody a lot of money if this ends up going. <laughs> yeah. Because there's going to be a lot of time uh, invested in figuring out how to work around this and minimize tax liability under a completely different um, structure. Yeah, I think we're we're all getting further and further away from a postcard tax return, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. It seems like that anyway. That was last election. <laughs> we're four years past that. It's like a million years. Yeah, and, it's uh, light, light years behind us. The right tax now. cycle, yeah. <laughs> so, all right, John, well, let's wrap up the corporate side here by just kind of opening it up. Anything else that would be interesting to our listeners to, to possibly talk about on the corporate tax uh, side or, or business tax side anyway, even if it's with regard to pass-through entities? Sure. I mean, you're going to see some uh, green energy type tax credits. Um, obviously, that goes goes along with um, what Biden, Biden is fighting for right now. So deductions for mis- emission reducing investments, um, you know, um, eliminate um, federal income tax deductions for oil and gas drilling costs and depletion. Um, and he also is, um, it's a complicated topic we probably get into for quite a while, but um, uh, the oper- idea of opportunity zones, which basically allowed um, investors to defer their capital gains if they took those capital gains and invested them in certain opportunity zones. Mm-hmm. And the opportunity zones were identified all over all over the U.S. And if, uh, as let's say of me as an investor, if I had a large million dollars worth of capital gains, I didn't want to have to pay tax on those. As long as I took that million dollars and invested in an asset in that opportunity zone, could be a, a new restaurant, a new housing development, whatever, as long as I invested there and kept the money there, then I could have those gains deferred. Well, Biden has has kind of expanded that a little bit and said, okay, that's great. You can do that, but you need to get treasury approval to make sure that what you're really trying to do has good economic, social, environmental benefits. Um, They need to to do some um, annual reporting that would be open to the public to make sure that, that what they're actually investing in is really making a good impact on residents, poverty, housing, job creation, and so forth. Um, and then encouraging them to, to partner up with nonprofits and community-type organizations. So it kind of took that um, Trump's 
plan there with the opportunity zones and just refined it a little bit um, and, and added some more criteria there. Um, the, we will see expanded work opportunity tax credits. Those are credits to employers for hiring certain individuals that fall into certain classes. Um, that's, uh, we're gonna, he, he expects to expand that class to include military spouses, which is, which is um, um, a new, um, also this is, this is kind of interesting, a new childcare construction tax credit to encourage businesses to build childcare facilities at their places of work. Hmm. So em employers will receive 50% of the first million dollars of construction costs per facility. So again, big yep. dollars, you know, five, half a million dollars to, uh, to, to, uh, to a seemingly private employer um, to build a health, uh, you know, a childcare yeah. facility. So we'll have to read the fine tune, fine details on that. Cause that's, mm -hmm. there's, there's elements of that that seem to, too good to be true. Um, and then I was, um, one other thing, perhaps so the last, um, he wants to really crack down on employers who are intentionally misclassifying employers as independent contractors, um, saying, citing that they're avoiding paying employment taxes that way. And, um, cause there's, there's certainly a fine line there between somebody who's an employer or an employee or an independent contractor independent contractor is responsible for paying their own social security and Medicare taxes. Um, That's kind of been an age old uh, topic though, right? I mean, this isn't, this has come up, this comes up all the time and it's always on a, some yeah. kind of a IRS hit list of they're going to really crack down on misclassified workers, misclassified employees that should be W2 employees, but they're you know, yes. getting uh, 1099 and independent contractor status. So, We'll, we'll see what's different about this one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's kind of interesting because we have a lot of independent contractors who would prefer to be independent contractors. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're still paying the same Social Security and Medicare taxes that they would if they're an employee. Um, but, they, but now they get to deduct their business expenses. They get the 20% QBI deduction. They can deduct their health insurance, contribute a lot more to retirement plans typically. So um, they could be. This could be the the government saying, "Hey, we're trying to help you out, independent mm -hmm. contractors." And the independent contractors saying, "No, stop trying to help. Yeah. We like where we're at." So, well, and, and you brought up the twenty percent QBI. That's kind of the last thing I wanted to at least briefly touch on in this topic because I think it's applicable to a lot of our clients. And um, you know, right right now, individuals that receive income from pass-through entities, S-Corps, LLCs, et cetera, uh, partnerships, you know, there's a, a potential for a 20% deduction uh, to take off of that, that income that's passing through to them. And then there's some limitations for, you know, based on some of those folks who are higher income, but you can jump over those hurdles if there's enough W-2 wages or unadjusted cost basis in the assets that's allocated to you. Um, and so I, I think another thing that Biden has said is that he, uh, I don't think he wants to completely eliminate that, but there's, I can't remember what the threshold is that he kind of wants to cut that off at, but. Is it $400,000? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's 400,000. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that was another, uh, that was a cutoff level for him on, you know, taking that benefit away from some, some folks. And then I, I can't figure this part out either, but he wants to kind of totally get rid of that benefit for people in real estate. There might be a current sitting president that has 
a lot of interest in real estate that he wants to make sure he never sees that benefit for the rest of his life. But um, wants to kind of get rid of that for for the real estate folks. And I can't remember if that's over the four hundred thousand dollar limit or just entirely. But um, you know that'll be that's something that's benefited a ton of our clients over the last couple of years. So uh, I'll be very curious to see if we do have a Biden presidency and some of these tax um, proposals are implemented, what's going to happen and how that will play out. That's been something that's been pretty complicated, obviously, Mm -hmm. but at the same point in time has provided a great benefit to a lot of taxpayers. So we'll see how that works out too. All right. Anything else that we missed for the good of the order before we... (laughs) I don't think so. You know, it's it's interesting seeing seeing politicians write tax law. That's for sure. Um, on either on either side of the of the um, in either party side, um, you know, it's interesting to see how they they try to move forward policy. Um, you know, and in the country by offering various incentives and deductions here and there. So um, there, there's a lot here. Of course, as soon as these get put into law, if they do, there's a lot of flushing out that has to go, you know, that that, that the IRS has to go through to um, get these out, actually out to the taxpayer. But um, I would say there's definitely, uh, you know, different, Different agreements, or they, you know, they definitely don't don't agree on a lot. So yeah, I, I think we've learned that over the past few months or the past year or so. That exactly that might be another statement, right? If one side feels one way, the other, by nature, is going to go something completely the opposite. And I think we've seen that here, uh, just in this short discussion. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, eight days till the big day uh, from the time of this recording, and we'll see what happens and the way that it all plays out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this will be fun to look look at uh, ten years from now and see see what actually happened yeah. you know, over, the, <laughs> over the last decade. Now. Uh, I'm sure it'll be something that neither one of us even remotely recognize. But yeah, exactly. Just, uh, that's just me. We'll see. It changes a lot. It, it uh, very interesting though. Yeah, for sure. Well, John, thanks for joining uh, me today on the podcast. I think this is hopefully a, a informative session for our listeners to just kind of understand what the what some of the aspects of the different uh, presidential candidates' tax platforms look like. And uh, appreciated having the enjoyed having the conversation with you. Oh, my pleasure. Yes, good time. If you're interested in learning more about the presidential candidate tax platforms, uh, visit yoandyo.com where you can find a copy of our show notes and additional resources. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we also put out a, a little bit of a article or, or blog post too that went through a lot of these topics that we covered today. Thank you to everyone who joined us today. I'm Dave Jewell, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Business with Yo and Yo. Thank you for tuning in to Yo and Yo's Everyday Business Podcast. Yo and Yo's podcast can be listened to on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and of course, our website. Please subscribe, rate, and review. For more business insights, visit our resource center at yoandyo.com and be sure to subscribe to our newsletters. We'll talk to you next time on Yo and Yo's Everyday Business Podcast. The information provided in this podcast is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published. 
The views, information, or opinions expressed during the podcast reflect the views of the speakers. This podcast does not constitute tax, accounting, legal, or other business advice or an advisor-client relationship. Before making any decision or taking action, you should consult with a professional regarding your specific circumstances.